Is it working? Maybe. It may, if you, I'll just ask you if you can just hit the next one. Okay. So, uh, this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series uh, titled Bless. And it's actually a, a sermon or a, a sermon guide, uh, uh, a mission or an outreach, intentional outreach uh, initiative put forward by the Evangelical Covenant. And it's interesting, I was thinking about it, just, you know, last week I was away. I was, I'm a member of the Town and Country Commission. It's a commission that was formed uh, years ago to, to go out to, one, to encourage and to listen and to pray with and to bring back reports from small town and rural churches of the covenant. Uh, it happened where, you know, and we see it even today, where much of the uh, attention, you know, you hear about the pastor who just wrote his 10th book and his church has just gone over 20,000 people. Like, those are the people that you hear about. Um, and But the church, the Evangelical Covenant, I'm grateful that they continue to look for ways to bless and to encourage. If you remember last year, the Town and Country Commission came here uh, to meet with our churches and to, to hear what was going on here and to bless us. But some of the churches that I met with in Northern California are also working through this uh, BLESS initiative, this discipleship and evangelism uh, outreach initiative. Uh, BLESS is just a, it's an acronym. Uh, I don't know if you can hit the next one. Um, it's just, you can see it's, it's just uh, each letter stands for something. The first one, B, is to uh, begin with prayer. L is for listen with care. You can rhyme a little bit. E is eat together, S is serve with love, and the final S is to share our story. And it's just a simple acronym um, to help us um, to do these things, these purposeful, these intentional ways of connecting with people, to befriend people uh, with the prayer, with the hope that through our relationship we will be able to encourage them in faith. Now this is not a manipulation thing, so please don't think of it in those terms of like we're just becoming friends until they until they're converted and then we drop them off at the church and go find somebody else. That's not, please don't do that. That, that is so hard. <laughs> please don't do that. But it's actually a way to, to foster relationships, genuine relationships with people as a way to encourage them in faith. We find that in our culture, especially today, that some people are attracted by a really well put together argument. Some people um, are attracted to that. Some people find that compelling. But by and large, most people um, or actually find it more compelling when they have a relationship with you and you explain to them or you have the opportunity to share, here's how faith matters to me. Here's how following Jesus has changed my life. For most people, that is uh, much more compelling. So that's blessed. We're going to be working through that over the next few weeks. Uh, this morning, though, we are beginning uh, with the foundation. Thanks, Millie. If you can just hit the next one. Uh, we're beginning with the foundation of the fact, why would we even be so focused on mission? Why, is, why do we have a mission moment every Sunday? Why do we continually talk about mission? We're going to talk about that some today as we watch Jesus and his interaction with Zacchaeus. Uh, this cornerstone uh, of our faith is that Jesus is on mission. And I've been reflecting some on this week about the story about Zacchaeus. And Tracy and I, like she was saying already, it's hard for me to hear the story right because I have that little song in my head. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee, you know, like, and I think of this kind of like cute Zacchaeus little guy and he's so happy to see Jesus. And you know, in reality, I think the story was totally different. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. And for those of us, I mean, none of us are super fond of paying taxes, but in Jesus' day, it was completely different, actually. They were occupied by the Roman Empire, so they were ruled by another country, 
the different forces, and they were ruled brutal. I mean, in, in, they used to joke about it. It's called uh, Pax Romana, which was Roman peace was basically everybody. There was only peace because no one dared get out of line or you'd be killed or assassinated or brutally murdered. So you have this opposing uh, army who came, uh, lived in your country. They charged taxes. But they wouldn't, because they didn't have enough people to be tax collectors, what they would actually do is hire local people. They call them, sometimes they call them tax farmers. So they would get a local person who had, for some reason, would go against his own people and collect taxes. But they wouldn't just say, you know, go collect taxes for us and here's your wage. What they would say is, you, here's what you owe us. You basically get this contract. You owe us these, this much tax. You go get it from the people, and whatever extra you get, you get to keep. And we will sanction you. We will use our soldiers to support you. So a tax collector in Jesus' time would be a Jewish person who would go around to their fellow Jewish people and collect taxes. And whatever they took above their normal Roman taxes, they got to keep. So in Luke's story, we'll get to in a minute, he tells us very carefully that, that uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was rich. That means he didn't just take what he needed just to get by from his own people. He took way more than he needed and he became rich. So Zacchaeus is this, is this rich tax collector. And, and I mean, I think probably the closest example that I could think of was more like, like you know, someone who works for an organized crime, for a mob boss who goes around and collects money from people who owe his debts. Like, that's the sort of guy we're talking about with Zacchaeus, not the chubby little guy who climbs up in a tree, but a tax collector. Like the lowest of low. People hated him. And yet we still see Jesus wading right into the muck of his life and seeking him. I started thinking about this this week. How far is Jesus willing to go for us? for those of us who are sitting here right now this morning, for those of us in our community, who maybe some of you might think, man, there's no way. Like, that person's a write-off. Yet how far Jesus will go? I don't know if you've ever asked that question. or ever wondered about that. Lord, how far would you go for us? Maybe some of you are here this morning and faith is still, you have more questions than answers about Jesus. You know, Jesus, would you still come for me? Despite everything that you know about me, Lord, would you still come for me? Or maybe some of you are here and you've been Christians for decades. And how powerful it is to remember just how far Jesus came for us. That we'd never forget what we were like before we were following Jesus. So this is how we begin this morning. The story of how far, this missional God, how far is God willing to go for us? So if you will, open up your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 19, verse uh, 1 to 10. And also, too, if you want to, it's in, this, uh, it's in your bulletin as well, if you want to read it there. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and um, there's a couple stories around Jericho, and this is the one. So this is one of them. So listen to this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people who saw this began to mutter. Actually, in the Greek, it began to complain. 
He's gone to be with the guest. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let us pray that we'd hear God's word this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to hear this story again. Help us to see, Lord Jesus, the extent, the extreme you're willing to go to rescue us. Lord, help us to understand what it means to know what it means to follow you out into mission. We pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So here's Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. The guy who kind of on the one hand, he was rich, seemingly had it all, and yet he was still looking for more. And like I already talked about, he was rich. He was a tax collector. So you kind of have an idea already what it meant to be a tax collector in that day. But here's the thing. He was a chief tax collector. So that doesn't just mean that he did his job. That means he did his job better than anybody else around him. He was probably ruthless. You don't get to be chief tax collector by letting people go, by saying, oh, you know what, just pay us when you can. You get to be chief tax collector by always bringing in taxes for Rome. And so Zacchaeus was his chief tax collector. And he was rich. Like we said, that means that he took way more than he needed from people. So it's no surprise that people hated him. It's no surprise that they label him sinner. You know, and we, you know, it says in the scripture that he was a short guy, uh, but the fact that he couldn't see Jesus is telling. Because people probably, uh, in the ancient times, if everyone was have high status and power, people knew that their job then, if they came through, was to make way for them, to get out of their way so they could come through. And yet when Zacchaeus comes, the crowd doesn't do that. If he's trying to come through here, they crowd him out. They keep moving closer to closer, closer together so he can't see. Zacchaeus is just this, all these wrong categories. He's the guy from the other side of the tracks, the guy that everyone has written off. And as you read Luke's gospel, even if you could have even just um, first century eyes, you would hear this story completely different than we usually do. Like I said already, we usually kind of play the song in the background as we're reading this. But if you could read it like a first century uh, Jew, you'd think, first of all, okay, guy, tax collector, rich. If you read Luke's gospel, the rich don't do so well in Luke's gospel. Even Jesus says, woe to the rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to those of you who are well fed now, for you will be hungry. So the rich, that's not a great thing in Luke's gospel. Actually, in any of the gospels for that matter. So not only that, but also to the story that comes just before this one, Does anybody know it? It's the rich young ruler. The story of this rich guy who actually was, he he came to Jesus and said, Lord, I've kept all the laws pretty well, if I do say so myself. I've done great. What more do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, give away everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And this 
guy who has it all right. You see, in the ancient world, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. Oh, God must love you. God must be blessing you because you're so rich. Not only that, but the guy actually kept the law or thought that he did. So this guy is, in terms of all the categories, he's got it all right. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, has got it all wrong. If you're reading loose gospel, you think, oh man, Zacchaeus, what? Like, you're going to get it. Wait till Jesus gets a hold of you because he's going to blast you. You are a sinner. You're a tax collector. You take advantage of your own people. You're a sellout. He's all of the wrong categories. In so many ways, he's the wrong sort of person. But then it actually kind of gets worse because not only is Zacchaeus this this wealthy guy on the outside of society because of the way he got rich, because he took advantage of his own people to get rich. But he also kind of blows it as far as being a wealthy person. You see, in the ancient world, the higher you were in status, the more stately you had to act. Everything was built on honor and shame. And so you never did anything that was disgraceful because you lose, you lose honor. And honor was like your credit rating in those days. So a wealthy person, a, a, a chief tax collector, always walked kind of stately, carefully, making sure everyone knew how important they were. And yet as we read in the story, he ran ahead. You see, in the ancient world, powerful people didn't run. It was beneath them. It was disgraceful. And yet here's Zacchaeus running to see Jesus, running to the front. Okay, so he runs. Okay, maybe we cut him a little bit of slack. Nobody's letting him in. But it gets worse. He climbs a tree. Powerful people, people of high status, didn't climb trees. That was beneath them. That was disgraceful. That was embarrassing. And yet here's Zacchaeus, so desperate to see Jesus, so desperate for something more than he has, more than all of his wealth, all of his stuff, He's running. He's throwing all of that convention out the window, all those categories, and he goes running ahead and he climbs a tree to see Jesus. I can't help but wonder, and unfortunately, man, it have been awesome, Luke, if you could have, or if the Holy Spirit would have revealed to you what was going on in his mind. But Zacchaeus, what would possess you to be this sold out, this crazy to see Jesus? Despite all that you have, And granted, like it probably came at a huge cost. Probably nobody, probably his own family didn't even want to associate with him. Despite all you had, you're still wanting to see Jesus. How many of us can relate to that, right? Despite all we have, we still sense, God, I'm needing more. I want more of you in my life. The stuff is great. You know, sometimes it's good, but sometimes it feels really empty. I know there's times it's been in my life where I'm thinking, man, if I could just get that one next thing, just that one next thing, then I get it, and like a week later, I, like I've forgotten about it, and I'm already like, okay, and now the another next thing, and how empty that is. I can't help but wonder what's drawn Zacchaeus to this place. And we see ourselves, like we are drawn to Jesus. We are drawn to him because we know the things that lie in our past, the skeletons in our closet, the sinful things we've done, the shameful things we've done, things we hate to even admit. And we know, too, the, the community that we need, this church family. We know the things that, that, we, that our world tells us, like, you know, get a bigger house, get a newer car, buy newer clothes. Trust me, you'll feel better. And maybe it works for a little bit, but oftentimes we're left feeling empty. We can relate to this feeling. 
this desire for more than stuff. So we see this Zacchaeus seeking Jesus. In some ways we can relate to him. In some ways he just blows all the categories apart. Well then, here comes Jesus. And he walks up to this spot and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. And we see God on mission. God going to the people on the margins, the people that everyone else wrote off. Think about the people in our society who are written off as beyond salvation. And yet these are the sort of people that Jesus goes to. I was thinking about this story, and one of the analogies I was thinking of is um, our um, pantry next to our kitchen. We've got all these little bottles those little glass ones, plastic ones, different sizes, all sorts of stuff, different spices, you know, cumin, um, basil, chili powder, paprika, salt, sugar, all of these spices. (laughs) I'm so tempted to lie right now and say how neat and organized they are, but I won't. (laughs) It's church. Um, But they're still, they're there, all these little bottles. It's not, it's not her, it's us. She has three boys, like cut her some slack, right? <laughs> she, has, she lives with three guys. We've been talking a lot about that lady. Um, but we have all these things in little categories. And how often do we do that with people? We put people in categories. We put labels on them and we categorize them. Oh, she's an addict. Category. He's an alcoholic. Category. They're too poor. They're too rich. That person um, has a different sexuality, sexual orientation that I'm used to. This person's a liberal. This person's a conservative. Categories. How often do we make categories? Think about Zacchaeus. Tax collector. Rich guy. Outsider. And yet here comes Jesus. And it's like he just grabbed all those spice bottles and just threw them out onto the floor. He takes all the categories and just throws them out. And I'm looking at this pile of like all these spices, all these little categories that I made in a pile on the floor. Jesus came for Zacchaeus. In the text it says, it's necessary, I have to stay at your place today. So this is not like some accident, hey, hey, does anybody have a place I can stay? This is Zacchaeus, I need to stay at your place today. See, the thing is, we use categories for people to organize people. Oftentimes putting people in categories so that we can step over them. We tend to put people in categories so that we can put them below us. Sometimes we put people above us, and that's horrible in its own way, but most often we put people in categories so we can dismiss them. I start thinking about the cross, how these categories relate to the cross, because or there's some categories that needed more crucifixion than others. I, I'm, I'm of the school. I mean, I, I believe it when Paul says that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God, that I kind of of the old school that there's no such thing as like, you know, I'm just a little bit of a sinner. They're way, like they're really sinful. Like when it comes to sin, as far as I can tell, it's just sin. There's no such thing as like, oh, well, this one's a, this one's a 
you know, not a bad one, not a bad sin. This is the really bad stuff. There's just sin. And so it's not like Jesus kind of um, hung on the cross for other people, but he only had to kind of like carry it a little bit for me. Like he had to die on the cross for all of us. When you start thinking of it like that, like all of, our, all of our little categories, they seem foolish. I was trying to think about it. It's like, it's like you know, someone who's got kind of raggy clothes saying someone else doesn't belong at the ball because their clothes are just a little bit more raggy than ours. It's ridiculous, really. All of us need the cross. We all had sin that was separating us from God. It didn't really matter how big it was. It was still just separation. And so here comes Jesus. And I have this image of him just wading into this muck, like up to his waist, his, his, his robe and his tunic, like kind of being pulled back in the mud, just wading into the muck of this world, wading, in, wading into the, the muck of Zacchaeus' life to rescue him, to save him, to draw him out. Not waiting for Zacchaeus to figure it out, to get all cleaned up and show up at church one day. But came waiting out for him, right into the muck of his life. It's amazing when you start thinking the extent that God goes to for us. The extent that God goes to for people in our community. You know, it's when we think about ourselves as kind of kind of more righteous, like we're kind of arrived, at least in terms of faith. We hear Zacchaeus' story and we think, oh, that's so nice. Look how nice Jesus is to the really, really sinful people. But when we realize that we are sinful people, that we are still broken, that we still do, like, maybe we don't always act on it, but we still have horrible temptations, that story isn't just nice anymore. It becomes salvation for us. It becomes a story of hope and of grace that changes us. So this is the God that we are following, Jesus, who wades right in and goes after people. This God that's on mission, who won't just wait around and hope we get it figured out. Hopefully we can clean ourselves up. So then we start, if you read a little bit more, you hear the story, you hear the responses, right? Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree, and in the Greek it says he receives them rejoicing, like, Yes, Jesus, come to my house. This is like the greatest day of my life. And no sooner does he start saying this and the crowd around him, they start grumbling, start complaining. Can you believe this Jesus guy going to stay with these sinners? Category? Dismiss? The people, they thought that they had figured out, they thought they were more righteous. They thought that somehow their sin wasn't as bad, that their rags weren't as raggedy as as Zacchaeus. See how they miss it. But then we see Zacchaeus, and as I read the passage, I read it over and over again, I think Zacchaeus is hearing them grumbling, and he's responding to Jesus. Um, I think one, wanting to respond to them some, but also to show like what God, what Jesus has done in his life already. This conversion that's already happening. He says, Lord, today everything that's at my disposal, I will give half of it to the poor right now. I pledge that. And if I've extorted money from anybody, which he probably did, he's probably really good at it, I will pay them back four times. Think about that. 
I don't know about any of you, but that is absolutely reckless. That is reckless with salvation. And I mean, it's good. I'm not saying reckless and bad. I'm saying like, most of you are like, whoa, 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 Zacchaeus. Like, I'm not sure that's financially prudent of you to be so, so zealous all of a sudden. Like, let's talk about this. But think about how reckless he was. God, here it is, right here. Take it. So here's Zacchaeus, tax collector, one of the best tax collectors around, working for the mob, like a muscle, trying to collect money from people who owed the, the empire. Not only that, he got rich doing it off the back of his own people. He was a, a traitor. People hated him, they called him the scumbag. All these wrong categories. And yet he does this. He gives all this money. He says, here, pledge it. God, I want to give it to the poor. I want to follow you, Jesus. Which, you know, is a pretty amazing story. But then when you start thinking about that in light of the rich young ruler who was a story just before, who Jesus had met just before him, the rich young ruler who followed all the rules, who thought he had it all figured out, you know, like kind of like, you know, Jesus might be like a pretty good guy on your team, you know. <laughs> you might actually be kind of lucky to have me around because I keep all the laws, got lots of financial resources. When Jesus asked him, give it all away and come follow me, the guy left brokenhearted. When you think about those two together, the rich young ruler who thought, like, you know, in the, in the ancient world, everybody thought he was doing everything right. And you see Zacchaeus, who everybody thought he was doing everything wrong, and you see how the two respond. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit embarrassed for myself. Because I see the way Zacchaeus responded, and I see, man, God, I want to respond like that. Forgive me that my response was way more measured, way more financially prudent. Lord Zacchaeus is a hero. His response to you, God, it's, it's how I want to respond, how we want to respond. Then we see Jesus' response. So Jesus says, now it's interesting because he starts speaking in the third person. So I think he's talking to the whole crowd. He says, today, Today salvation has visited this house, this house of Zacchaeus, the one you guys all wrote off. Today salvation is visiting his house. And by salvation, I think Jesus means all sorts of things lumped together in that one word. I mean, obviously, one, forgiveness of sin. That sinner is no longer his label. Tax collector is no longer who he is. He is a child of God. Through his faith in Jesus, he is a child of God. He's been, so all the things, all the things that separate him, all the times he cheated people, all the horrible things, the times he rebelled against God, all those things have been covered over by Jesus or would be covered over by Jesus on the cross. He's been made right. He's been justified and restored. So in and of itself, that's amazing. But when you start thinking about what that means for his relationship with God our Father, not only is he forgiven and everything that comes with that, but now his relationship with God the Father is made right. It's made good again. He is restored. He is reconciled. And then out of that comes this whole new life, realizing that I don't have to rip people off anymore. I'm not going to have to try to make my meaning out of the money I have or the stuff I have. I realize that my meaning comes out of my identity in my Lord Jesus and my Father God. That's where my identity, and out of that comes a whole new life. A whole new way of living where you, like we are talking about earlier at, at the offering, where money, money is just a tool, not something that we hold on to for dear life, but something that we're generous with. 
time, it's something that we give to people. Not something that we hoard for ourselves, that we spend willy-nilly on things that don't really matter. Or serving others. Blessing people even when it costs us something. Jesus gives us this new life. And this life that begins today, that matters for us right now, but goes on forever. In the new heavens and the new earth. When God's kingdom comes here and reigns here. That's the sort of salvation that Jesus says when he says salvation has come to this house today. And then he goes on to say that this too is a son of Abraham. I hear that today in our conversation, in our world right now, our secular world, where we talk about that we too are made in the image of God. We talked about that yesterday at our children's workshop. That we love these kids because they are made in the image of God. We love the kids of our community who have never even stepped foot into this church because they are made in the image of God. We love people even though we put categories on them because they are made in the image of God. Those are the people that we, God has come. He has sent us. That The categories, they've all been scooped off the shelf and thrown on the floor. There's just people. People needing Jesus. And then he says, the Son of Man has come, has come to seek and to save the lost. He's come to seek. Not he has waited to see. He has come to seek. God is on mission. God is coming for us. God has come for each one of us in this room. God has come for this whole community. God has come for all of Canada, for all of this world. He has come seeking to save the lost. And the word lost there is like utterly lost, utterly like beyond hope, lost. That's who he's come. He's come for the lost cause. And like I said earlier, when we realize that there aren't just some who are lost cause, that we were all lost cause, that, becomes, that takes on a whole new meaning for us. This is how Jesus says, this is what he says to him, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So what does this mean for us, right? I mean, hopefully you're getting all sorts of things. The Holy Spirit is at work in you and you're getting all sorts of things out of this. But the thing I want, two things I, I was realizing for myself, for us, is one is there is conviction in this. Maybe I'm going a little long. <laughs> Everybody's getting up. Um, <laughs> Dave's just like, I'm not saying anything. Right? I'm almost done which I've heard in some cultures means I'm going for another hour, but not here, don't worry. Um, uh, One is conviction. Lord God, forgive us when we categorize people. When we categorize people and we put them as though they are beyond salvation. Forgive us, forgive me when I do that. Let Let us go to the people who need Jesus. So let us be convicted that all of us were saved by the same cross. That it took the cross, Jesus sacrificed on the cross for all of us. None of us somehow didn't really need that. We all needed the cross. So that's the first thing, it's conviction. The second thing is compel us. Let this story compel us into mission. Let, us, let this story compel us to go to the edges of our society, the people that everyone else writes off, and go to be a blessing to them as well. Maybe even First. Let the story compel us to go to the people who everyone else categorizes as a sinner. 
but to story help us realize that God is on mission already and that we join him. God is already at work. The Holy Spirit, I know many of you have seen this already, so I know I'm hopefully I'm just telling you things you already know, but the Spirit is at work in the community around us. God's Spirit is at work in people's lives. All we have to do is go out and join him. Let us keep going out and joining him. And the other thing, this is the kind of the last part of it, the main point, is that we serve a God on mission. We have been saved by Jesus, who is God on mission. Therefore, if we follow him, we follow him into mission. Mission is central to who we are. It's not something we do if we're feeling extra spiritual. It's not some, just some program of the church that you can join if you like. It is who we are. And it looks different for all of us. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to go out down to Nelson with a sandwich board and a megaphone. That's not what I'm talking about. Each of us, God has wired for mission in particular ways. Some of you, it's through service. Many of you, I know, you're not like, you feel like, oh, I'm not a great at talking or I can build stuff for people. I can work hard for people. I can bless people. Some of you have great minds and you love to talk about things at a head level. Bless you. There are people who want to hear reasonable arguments for why Jesus is good to follow. Some of you are just blessed with this ability to care for people. God has wired all of us, made all of us for mission. Let us join Jesus in that. Amen? Okay, so you've heard this story about Zacchaeus this morning. Hopefully, something. I'm curious to hear how. Ha-